and we're going to continue with our series in uh, the book of Acts. Forgive my appearance and my rather husky voice uh, today, but we're looking at um, Acts, meaning all church teaching series, and this morning I want us to um, consider a church driven by integrity. A church driven by integrity. I wonder how you would define integrity. Um, it is all to do with moral uprightness and honesty, both in public and private areas of our lives. It's doing what you said you would do, when you said you would do it, and how you said you would do it. And looking at the book of Acts, it reveals to us how the early Christians started to live out the kingdom of God principles that Jesus had taught his disciples. Uh, Gemma read to us just a moment ago some of those principles on how you behave uh, towards other people. And in Acts chapter 1, we read that there were 120 disciples that gathered in the upper room where Jesus had told them to wait until the Holy Spirit was poured out. And it was those 120 disciples, once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to live out the kingdom principles that Jesus had taught them. And they were living a kingdom lifestyle so that they would glorify God and be a blessing to others. And this was a, a powerful work of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is not just about enjoying the gifts that he gives to us that are mentioned in the book of Corinthians. But the Holy Spirit was given so that we could live the kind of life that Jesus did, demonstrate the kind of love that he demonstrated and be witnesses to him in our communities, towns and ultimately to the ends of the earth, as Jesus said. Now, just let me put the book of Acts perhaps in a slightly different context for us for a moment. In the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament are called the Torah, which was the law, the instructions about how God's people should live their lives. If the Gospels in the New Testament are like the Torah, of the Old Testament, then the book of Acts is like the book of Joshua in the New in the Old Testament. Let me explain that, because you have the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua is all about the people of Israel going to possess the land and becoming a nation living under the promise that God had given to them. The book of Acts in the New Testament is all about the establishment of the church. It's about the people of God um, beginning to be what God had called and promised they should be by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's an interesting parallel because after the Battle of Jericho, when the walls came miraculously down, you then get chapter 7 of um, Joshua, where there's a man called Achan who messes everything up because of his deceit and dishonesty. When you go into the book of Acts, by chapter four of the book of Acts, the church probably numbered over 15,000 people. There had been an incredible explosion of God's saving grace in Jerusalem. 
That was in chapter four. By chapter five, we read of a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who through deceit and dishonesty brought about a discrediting of the church. So there's a similar parallel that you see there between the Old and the New Testament. And Satan will always seek to discredit the work of the Holy Spirit. And he will go for those who are spiritually vulnerable. People who are not walking close to the Lord, he will seek to attack and use to discredit and dishonor the church of Jesus Christ. So we just had read to us Acts chapter 5 in the first 11 verses. And we're going to think about this uh, story about this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. There were two really important questions that Peter asks in this account. First of all, why have you let Satan fill your heart? And then secondly, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord? They are challenging questions. The thought of Satan filling my heart is very, very frightening and troubling. And yet it's possible because we see it here in this couple who had come and joined the church, presumably accepted the gospel and given their lives to God. But Satan filled their hearts so much so that they then deliberately lied to um, the Holy Spirit and to the Lord. Now, Ananias and Sapphira failed to live up to kingdom principles. And I want to just share five kingdom principles with you this morning, because this story could be all very negative, and I want to give it in a positive light. So I want us to look at five kingdom principles that are really important to notice here. Okay, so if you're writing down, number one is this. The kingdom of God requires selflessness. The kingdom of God requires selflessness. If we just go back to Acts chapter 4, and verse 34 and 35, this is what was read to us. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. That was incredible selflessness. And the overriding value of the church of Jesus Christ, the early church, was one of generosity. People willingly shared what they had. In the New Testament, there would not have been any benefit system. If you were widowed or divorced, you became vulnerable. If you were in prison, it was expected that your family would feed you. And if you had no family or friends, you would be likely to starve. The Roman Empire was harsh and uncompassionate in the way that it ruled over Israel in that time. Ananias and Sapphira, they failed to understand that the kingdom of God is about giving and ultimately laying down your life for your brother or sister. <clears throat> we had read to us by Gemma where Jesus said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I did a video this week called uh, about counterculture. And when you look at so many things that Jesus said, it is so counter to the way in which our lifestyle, our culture is today. 
And we are called as Christians to be people who are counterculture by living out the principles and the values of the kingdom of God. And this is a challenge to our faith. It's a challenge to our generosity where we don't put our needs first, but we look out to meet the needs of others. And Ananias and Sapphira failed to have this attitude in the way that Barnabas did, who we read about at the end of chapter four. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, you know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. He then goes on a bit later and says, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves those who give cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. <clears throat> the principle of the kingdom of God is one of incredible generosity. When Jesus walked upon the earth, he constantly was giving in so many different ways. And that was an overriding principle and value, a kingdom principle that Ananias and Sapphira failed to understand in the way they came to the apostles with their pretense of being generous. So the first thing we need to understand the kingdom of God is it requires selflessness. But the second thing is the kingdom of God requires reality. Ananias and Sapphira were insincere. Do you remember last Sunday when I talked about the word sincere from the Latin meaning without wax <coughs> and the story that it goes back to in Roman times? This couple were insincere because they tried to give the appearance that they were doing something noble like Barnabas had done so that they would be well thought of by the apostles. But they were fakes. And we need to understand that faking it does not wash with God. Many Christians forget that God looks at the heart and he looks at our out, doesn't look at our outward appearance. He's not interested in that. God looks at what's going on inside us. And here were a couple who wanted to look good on the outside. They wanted to give the appearance that they were doing something very kind and very benevolent in selling what they had and giving the money to the apostles, but they were actually faking it. And the thing is, we can never fool God. How many footballers do you see uh, on a premiership game? They come onto the pitch and they cross themselves. I, I often notice that. Or some of them put their hands up as if they're praying these wonderful <laughs> prayers. And, and it looks very impressive. But I have to ask myself, I wonder how real their outward religious appearance is they cross themselves maybe they think it'll give them good luck and maybe they were brought up as catholics i don't know but a lot of people give an outward appearance of being faith people religious people but inwardly they might be something quite different isaiah spoke about this when he said they come near me with hollow words and honor me superficially with their lips all the while their hearts run far away from me and in Timothy, Paul then says that 
these kind of people, they pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. He says, stay away from those kinds of people. You see, God does not want us to be religious. He wants us to be real. And that's what matters more than anything else. Do you remember those two guys who went to the temple? And uh, one of them said, God, you know, I am a good guy. I pay my tithes. I fast several times a week. I do all the stuff that the law requires me. What a good guy I am. And basically he was patting himself on the back before God. There was another guy who was a publican and he hung his head and said, oh, God, I'm a rotten sinner. Please forgive me. And Jesus said, who do you think went home justified? It was the guy who was real and honestly admitted where he was at. You see, God loves it when we're real, despite our brokenness, despite our failures, despite the mistakes that we make, despite the times when we get things wrong. If we are real, God loves it. But if we try and fake it and pretend to be something else, we will never deceive God or draw his blessing upon our lives. So the kingdom of God doesn't only require selflessness, but it requires reality. But then thirdly, the kingdom of God requires honesty. Peter said to Ananias, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Integrity lives out of truth. So here's a question. Am I a person of truth? You see, Jesus was totally integrous in everything he did and said in his time and ministry here on the earth. Why? Because he was truth. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Integrity lives out of truth. And the Holy Spirit is a person who can be lied to. He can be grieved. He can be offended. Some people think the Holy Spirit is a force or a power or some kind of presence. But the Bible makes it very, very clear. The Holy Spirit is a person who has feelings. And that's why it speaks about the fact that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be offended. And Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. They thought they could lie to the Holy Spirit and get away with it. I want to tell you that is a big mistake, a big mistake. In Proverbs 12, 22, it says this in the Passion Bible, live in the truth and keep your promises. And the Lord will keep delighting in you, but he detests a liar. That's strong language. God detests a liar. I'll tell you why God detests a liar, because Satan is the father of lies. And whenever we are dishonest, whenever we do not tell the truth, we are reflecting the character of Satan. That's why God detests liars. A church that lacks integrity will fail to please the Lord and it will deceive the world. God gave this reference to Satan concerning Job. Listen to what God said about Job. If, if you were having a CV written by somebody else, I bet you would love to have this statement said about you. This was what God's testimony was to Satan about Job. He said, he is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil, and he has maintained his integrity 
even though you urged me to harm him without cause. What a testimony. May God be able to say that of each and every one of us, because the kingdom of God requires honesty, not only in what we say, but in how we live, in what we do, in every aspect of our lives. Number four, the kingdom of God requires accountability. Because in Acts 5 verse 9, Peter says, how could you test the spirit of the Lord? Uh, when I was in the hospital on Friday, the surgeon uh, was sort of working on my nose. I guess I could say I've had a nose job, I don't know. But, um, and he had an assistant there and he said to this assistant, have, have you answered the questions on my appraisal? So I thought this is interesting. Um, some people have these um, 360 appraisals. I've often filled parts of them in where you get all the people you work with and connect with you and they fill in a part of your appraisal that then goes to whoever is doing the appraising. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Here is a surgeon, a highly qualified man, but he still has to undergo an appraisal once a year for his work and how he relates to other people. You see, none of us are above correction or accountability. No minister of the gospel can ever claim, touch not the Lord's anointed. That's a terrible statement to make because all of us are accountable for our actions. Ultimately, God will call us to account. We see this in the first pages of the Bible. When Adam and Eve sinned, the first question in the Bible is a question of accountability. Adam, where are you? And God was calling Adam to account because his relationship with God had changed. He was hiding. You then go on to read the story of Cain and Abel. And, you know, if you know the story, Cain becomes jealous of his brother Abel. He kills him. And God then comes to Abel and says, Abel, where? God comes to Cain and says, where is your brother Abel? And Cain it's a question of accountability. Cain comes back with his rather lame excuse by saying, well, am I supposed to be my brother's keeper or guardian? The answer is yes. God was calling him to account for the blood of his brother. You see, the Bible says we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And being members of a local church doesn't mean to say that we can be a law unto ourselves that we can come and go and do and say as we please and be a kind of lone ranger and just live our lives the way we want to live them. That is not what it means. We are not independent. We are interdependent as the body of Christ. And Paul says, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Every part of the human body is important. And he uses that analogy because the church, as you and I know, is a body. And then he says, all the members of the body are to care for each other. You see, Ananias and Sapphira wanted to see how far they could go with impunity. They thought that they could do as they please. And Peter said to them, well, the property was yours. You, you could sell it and do with the money whatever you chose to do. They had that right but it was their pretense of being accountable that was so dishonest. In 1 Corinthians 11, 
Paul says that it's time, or in one, one Peter, sorry, Peter says it's time for judgment to begin at the family of God. And that word judgment is the same word that's used in 1 Corinthians 11, where it says, if we would judge ourselves, that's when Paul is talking about sharing communion. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And Paul goes on to say, if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ. Now, you can take that in two ways, meaning the literal physical body of Christ that went on the cross, or you and I as the body of Christ. And if we eat and drink, the bread and the wine, faking it, not living according to a way that pleases God, we are dishonoring one another. And that's an issue of important accountability. If you eat and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment on your son, says Paul. So just one final thought. The kingdom of God requires selflessness, it requires reality, it requires honesty, it requires accountability, but finally the kingdom of God, in the kingdom you reap what you sow. Because it says Ananias and then Sapphira fell down dead. That's scary stuff, that really is. You see, when you live without integrity, something always dies. If you live in a marriage without integrity, trust will die. Love will die. The relationship will begin to crumble. Whenever we fail to live integrous lives, something always dies. This is the principle that we need to learn out of this story. Trust dies. Relationships die. Honor dies. Togetherness dies. Being a body dies. You start to fall apart. If there is not integrity amongst us flowing one between the other in the way that we behave one towards the other, the body will begin to fragment and die. You cannot mess with the Holy Spirit and get away with it. It says in verse 11 of Acts 5, great fear gripped the entire church. And I'm not at all surprised. It must have been a real wake-up moment for the church when they saw what happened because of Ananias and Sapphira failing to live kingdom principles. The former president of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower, I can't remember when he lived, but quite a few years back now, he made this statement concerning leadership, but I believe it applies to each and every one of us, and I'll read it to you. He said, the supreme quality... For leadership and many of you are leaders in your jobs if you're a teacher you are bringing leadership if you're in other areas of work you are bringing leadership so it's not just talking about church leadership here but take note of this he says the supreme quality for leadership is unquestionably integrity without it no success is possible no matter whether it is on a section gang a football field in an army or in an office if a man's associates find him guilty of phoniness, if they find that he lacks forthright integrity, he will fail. His teachings and actions must square with each other. So may we learn from Ananias and Sapphira's mistakes to live kingdom principles because that's what will cause the church to grow and to flourish.